Thank you all so much for being here. If you've got a Bible, open up to John 9, if you will. Uh, it's been a while, probably about a month since we uh, opened up to John for our undeniable Bible study. We started this back at the end of the summer, uh, Christmas time, uh, as it does for most of our services. It kind of sent us off in a different direction for a little bit. But tonight, we're picking back up in John 9. And what a better text to open up to, because uh, as I'll tell you in a little bit, this chapter is really what inspired this whole study um, and is the reason why it's called Undeniable, reason why that I wanted to do this study through John. Um, this chapter means so much to me, um, very personally, from my story um, and what I've been through in life um, well before I was in ministry. Um, and uh, the opportunity I've had to preach from this text, um, this, this chapter is very special to me. Um, and I'm fortunate to be able to uh, stand before every one of you and open uh, a copy of God's Word. And if you have a copy, you've found your place, let's give God's Word uh, the, uh, the center of attention tonight and read verses 1 through 12 to begin. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed or made manifest in him. I must work in the works, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How are your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. One of the, one of the most real texts, and when I say real, I mean I could see myself being in this story. Some Bible stories I read and I'm thinking, Come on, I can't preach that. God, that's just so much bigger than us and it's just, you know, it's almost too good to be true. This is one of those episodes that, yes, it's a miracle. Yes, it's just completely otherworldly and what happens. But the way it's presented and the way people react, even the guy that was healed, the way they all react to Jesus, it's just so relatable. It's so real and authentic. And I see my own life, and I bet all of us can see our own lives in a story like this, and I can't wait to dive more into this tonight. Um, I think we've all had these moments in our lives that are so powerful and make such an impact that if we were to map out our lives, if you were to do a timeline of all the major events in your life, I bet there would be some pretty solid marks denoting life before certain events and life after certain events. These things that I like to call defining moments. Things that leave us as different people. We've all had our share of defining moments. And, and defining moments are exactly what they sound like. They're moments that define us. And defining moments are usually always deeply personal. 
They impact and change who we are at our core, and they leave us often emotional. And when we think about them, we get teary-eyed. We think about them, we get overwhelmed. They leave us as, as people who have seen things and can see things differently with a fresh and different perspective. They impact those around us. And I bet all of you can have, have some memories. You can recount some memories. Maybe when you fell in love, maybe when you and those closest to you overcome something great or you achieve something great. These moments are these tentpole events and markers in our personal journeys and personal stories. And, and this might be the biggest single difference maker when it comes to Christianity compared to other religions is how Christianity is all about these deeply personal defining moments, especially one major defining moment. Christianity is deeply personal. Christianity is earmarked by defining moments between us and God, between us and God's people. Religion is external. Religion is all about what you see, what you can experience from a distance. But Christianity, uh, contrast to every other religion, every other faith, Christianity is internal. Religion is static. It's been the same. It always will be the same. It's afraid of changing. Religion is static, but Christianity is spiritual. Now, there are other religions that claim and attempt to make an internal impact, and there are other religions that try to conjure spiritual encounters, but at best, they might brush up against what Christianity offers. Because here's what makes Christianity so different. Christianity at its heart isn't our attempt to find God. It's God's success at finding us. If somebody were to ask you, what makes Christianity different than Islam or from Buddhism or you know, other faiths, and I'm not trying to bag on other faiths and just beat up on other people, but if you were to, someone were to ask you, hey, what makes your faith different? Why do you think you're so right? Why are you so narrow? Why do you think the Bible is the only source? And why do you think Christianity is the only way? I mean, really, at its heart, it's not that we just think we're smarter. It's not that we think we're holier. None of that. It's not that we think we have, you know, ascended to some level of spirituality that nobody else can. It's not about what I do or what any of us can do. Christianity isn't about our attempt to find God and that some of us find Him and some of us get closer than others. It's not about what we do at all. Every other religion is all about trying to find their way to the top of that mountain, hoping to find the God who's hidden at the very top. But Christianity isn't about our attempt to find God. It's about God's success, right? Not because God does not make attempts, right? God is successful. He succeeded at finding us. And how did He find us? He came looking for us, right? He walked in our shoes. He died in our place. It's God's success at finding us. And that is the story that John is telling. The story of God's passion to find us and know us. He builds on the entire Old Testament, which was about trying to find God. And he says, God has come to find us so that no one should be lost. We've been hearing from John who had a front row seat at God's word becoming flesh, his favor becoming free, his lamb arriving to pay the penalty for you and for me. Along the way, John has told an incredible story in which Jesus, in which he meets Jesus the man, the rumor, the whisper, the too good to be true potential Messiah. We've read episode after episode of Jesus interacting and intersecting with men and women who met Jesus the teacher. But they got to know Jesus the Savior. They encountered Jesus the man, but they embraced Jesus the Messiah. Remember, we've already read the story, the end of the story, and I've showed you this before, I'll show you it again. At the end of all this, after John gathers all these accounts together, as he crafts this amazing narrative, John says, hey, this is why I've told you this story. 
This is why every single chapter is laid out like it is, recording episodes like they do. John tells us at the end, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. I've just showed you a little bit of all that Jesus did and all that he accomplished and the people that he met. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. John says, I've written this to you so that you might walk away like I'm walking away. I have no doubt Jesus is the Messiah. He is God made flesh. He is God's only son. And by believing in him, you will have life like you never had before and can find nowhere else. John, what does that mean? John says, you just got to come and see. You just got to walk where I've walked. You got to read what I've wrote to you. You've got to trust in what I have written to you because I promise you there is life to be found that is unrivaled by any other way. John's story is full of defining moments, all building off of his defining moment where John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and said, look, there he is, the Lamb of God. And John asked Jesus, where are you staying? Where is your religion headquartered out of? And Jesus said to John, come and see. And he went and he saw and he was never the same. John was absolutely convinced that he had come face to face with God. John knew what John knew and wants us to know that Jesus is without a doubt God. Jesus is the real deal, the full display and measure of God. And as we've studied his story, we've come face to face as well and will never be the same because of it. John has told us about how he, a Pharisee, a Samaritan woman, a Sadducee, a, 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 a disabled man, an adulterous woman, and many others all became convinced that Jesus was and is undeniably God in a body. God made flesh. The only revelation of God. We've also, we've called this series undeniable because the gospel according to John confronts all that is unbelievable and all that is unexplainable with something that is undeniable. John does not attempt to explain everything. John does not attempt to try to say, well, you should, you should believe this and believe that and you should never doubt that. John just says, you're going to have some doubts. You're going to have some things that are not explained and I'm not going to explain them and nobody can explain them. That's just going to be how it works. That's just going to be how it is. There are going to be times where you, won't, you can't understand and you want, you want explanations that aren't going to be given. But I have given to you something that is undeniable and I believe what is undeniable will be more powerful than what you can't explain and what you can't believe. John 9 is the chapter from which this title, this theme, is most clearly and powerfully conveyed and on display. I heard a message from over a decade ago, uh, probably in the early 2000s, called Undeniable from this chapter. And i got to tell you, that chapter changed my life. And based on what I was going through at that point in my life, this scripture just spoke to me in such a personal way. I got to preach from this chapter at a country church on the other side of the county about 10 years ago. If John's gospel is full of defining moments, chapter 9 might feature the most defining moment of them all. And what we find in this text is once again proof that God is approaching us even and especially when we feel the most distant. 
And I promise you, that's the, that's the good news of, the God, of, of Jesus Christ, that God is headed toward us even when, especially when we feel the most unqualified, the most distant, God is wanting to reach us tonight with this truth because He wants His truth to be deep enough to produce growth and make a difference. Specifically, God wants your faith. God wants our faith to transcend how we feel. And that is a very big statement to make and a very lofty statement to make, but that is exactly what God wants. Because there are days when you don't feel saved and you don't feel like you really can do much and you don't feel like God's really anywhere near you. But God wants to give you faith that can transcend how you feel. He wants to give you faith that is fireproof, that is feelings-proof. Even more, God wants what's unbelievable to be overwhelmed by what's undeniable. God wants what you can't explain and what you have trouble believing to be overwhelmed by what is undeniable. Listen, I'm not going to promise you that God's going to answer every one of your questions. I'm not going to promise you that God's going to always explain everything and give you a sense and a reason for everything. He's not going to. But I can promise you this. God will leave an undeniable impression on you if you look long enough, if you pray hard enough, if you focus in on Him and trust in what He's doing. You will be undeniably convinced that God is for you. And that Jesus has a place for you and did something for you that is unrivaled by anything else. This is where I think we can have our defining moment. If you've never had one before, this may be the difference in you being a believer and being a receiver. Having this become personal to you. Jesus was approached by the religious leaders with a question concerning a man who was born blind. And of course, this question was, very, was loaded. This question was already slanted. They didn't give him the option to, 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 to say, uh, to, to, they kind of steered this question in a very specific way, wanting Jesus to give them a very specific answer. Now, the way, they were, the way the world worked back then, and the way many still see it today, yet not as many as were in the ancient world, the ancients believed that any birth defects were considered judgments from God. That any birth defects were considered acts of judgment by God. Now, they asked the question, who sinned this man or his parents? He was born blind, so some of them clearly believed that in reincarnation and, and, and some of the mystical religions that teach that, even some of the Jewish people kind of had a misunderstanding of how things work when you die. They wondered, hey, did this man sin in some previous life and come back as a, as a judged person? Clearly that didn't happen, but they actually were wondering about that, right? Because they couldn't understand, they couldn't reason with the fact that somebody was born with a problem and they had to blame it on somebody. That either he sinned in a previous life or either his parents sinned or his grandparents sinned or his great-grandparents sinned or somebody sinned and God had to punish somebody and God really wanted to make his parents suffer so instead of punishing them, he, he punished their child. That's how they saw the world. That's how they understood God as how God operated from heaven. Now to explain this, we've got to have a brief conversation about how the ancients even some in our world, but especially the ancients and the Jews, how they understood God. Y'all have heard me talk about this before, but many in the ancient world understood God, as I like to call it, as if he was a cosmic vending machine. They understood God as a machine that vended out according to what you put in it, and sometimes you were putting stuff in it for yourself. Sometimes you were putting stuff in it for the sake of your children or for the sake of your tribe or the sake of your company or the sake of somebody else. But it was always about, hey, I've got to put enough quarters and enough dollars in or whatever else in, right? Service, you know, deeds, good deeds. I've got to put enough in. And if I put enough in, God will give me what I want out. 
And it was always this tiered system. There were, there were small ideas, there were big ideas, there were small deeds you would do to get God's attention to hopefully get you something on that kind of a level. But then there was bigger uh, you know, tasks to do to hopefully shake God's uh, you know, uh, leg enough to get His attention to give you what you wanted. Here's the thing, though. Y'all know this. There's a lot of different kind of vending machines, right? And, and there's some that are more elementary, and there's some that are more complex. Now, there is the candy machine version of God. The candy machine version of God is, you know what? God, I'm believing, and I'm praying. And since I'm believing, and since I'm praying, that doesn't cost me much, right? I'm just, you know, anybody can believe, anybody can pray. God, I'm believing, and I'm praying, and I'm expecting when I turn that knob, I'm going to get what I have put in. I'm going to get in return to what I've asked for, right? And God, if I pray and I believe and I don't get out what I expect, I'm probably not going to believe anymore. I'm probably not going to pray anymore. I prayed on Monday and it's Tuesday and it's not happening, right? And I continue to turn that machine and all I get out is the color I didn't want. Now, I, I, we, make, we, we laugh, but we've all been there, right? We believed for a little bit and we quit believing. We prayed for a little bit and we quit praying. And we thought that as if God operates on this, well, I'm going to put it in, and if it doesn't come out, then I guess the machine's broken. And there's another step up. There's the drink machine version of God. Now, this one costs a little bit more, right? This one isn't just a quarter. It's several quarters. It might be a dollar and a half. This is what I think, you know, we do when we come to church, right? You know, we, oh, we took an hour of our time, right? And, you know, that's, that's a lot for some people. I get that. It takes a lot of time and a lot of, you know. But, hey, I've come to church, God, and I'm not just believing and praying. I'm actually giving you time that I could be giving to somebody else, right? And, God, I don't know if you saw me, but I put some money in the plate when it came by. And, God, you know, and I'm putting it in the machine because I expect it. If I put in, you're going to bring me something in return. And I hit the button, right? And I wanted this drink, and I got something else. And, God, what gives? I put the proper amount of money in the machine. I did the right thing. So where is my return? Now, then there are levels of things that we try to do for God that kind of get a little bit more complicated and a little more tricky. You got the claw machine. Now, y'all know this. This is a scam, right? This is a scam. Do not let your children do it. I still play the claw machines when I see one. I don't know what's wrong with me. Lindsay just looks at me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to win. I never do. I never do. But the claw machine version is, hey, you're going to just waste money. You're going to put money in, and you're never going to get anything. And eventually, it, you might find one that's not rigged enough, and you might be able to grab something by its leg, and you're going to win something. You're going to think, I spent $10 on this thing that's worth $0.02, cent, right? How did that work? And you're going to feel good about yourself because you won the thing. The claw machine version is, hey, I'm going to do stuff to get recognized. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, stand here and I'm going to, you know, volunteer here. I'm going to do some ministry there. And it's kind of that thing where, you know what, God, I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to show you that I'm, you know, good enough or, or, or I'm doing this. And, and it's almost like we just don't get enough out of it, so we just quit doing it, right? And then there's, of course, the even more of a scam, vending machine, which is everybody's favorite. The slot machine, right? We all do this. Y'all do this all the time, don't you? <laughs> Just kidding, right? I, I never got near one of these things. They're in the gas stations. They look, you look in the corner and you're like, I, I feel like I'm so Baptist brought up, you know, so fragile uh, and so worried about sinning. I, look, I go in the gas station and I look down that aisle and I see that slot machine. I'm like, I better not go near there because flee the appearance of evil, right? I'm afraid I'm going to sin just walking by it. But, 
right? You know, and I could have put a lotter machine up there, but I didn't, you know, that, this isn't as close to home. But the slot machine, now there's a lot of slot machines, right? And I, this one has all kind of uh, different things. I don't know, maybe the Lord of the Rings one gives you a, one ring to rule them all. I don't know. Anyway, there's a lot of inversions, but you go to Vegas or you go to a casino or whatever, and you just blow money, right? You, I'm going to put a couple hundred dollars in, and I'm going to get nothing back. But you might get a thousand back, right? And if you have enough composure to walk away, good for you. But most people don't, right? And you might win a little bit, but the more you put in, right, the more, you know, the dollar signs get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is that, that part of us that, you know, we read and we give and we serve and we post online and we're, we're hoping that we get something out of what we're doing. We're hoping we get recognition. But sometimes we feel like we've just put so much out there and God hasn't responded in the way, in, in the expectation that we, you know, we have. God didn't respond to us in the measure that we gave. And we walk out of the casino feeling like, you know, what did I just do? These are those seasons of our life when you get on fire, right? Maybe the first of the year, maybe, you know, after revival. You get on fire for God. You are only listening to 106.9 or 88.1. You're only, you know, you're only listening to worship music. You're only reading the Bible or Christian books. You're only watching Christian television. That might not be a good idea. I don't know about that. But you're only, you know, listening to preachers. You're only doing this. You know, we go all in. I'm listening and I'm reading and I'm studying and I'm going to you know, quit spending money there and I'm going to give money here. We go all in. And after about a month, when things don't come all back to us, we kind of think, you know what, maybe I just kind of, you know, I, I, I overbooked it and I, I overdid it and maybe I'm not supposed to be that serious. And every one of these are just the same, are just a different example of the same idea that God is this machine that if we put enough in, we'll get something out. Now, the thing is, some are born doomed to ever have a chance to even try to play, let's make a deal. There's some people in the world that never even get a chance to walk up to a machine to put a quarter in, right? Some will never have a good day at all. Some are born outside of the possibility of ever experiencing anything good, let alone prosperity. Some, it seems, aren't supposed to even get a glimpse of God. So the Jews and the ancients, they believed that if you had the chance to walk to the machine and put a quarter in, you were already better than most. Because there's a lot of people that will never get a chance to get even close to this cosmic vending machine that is God. And thankfully, Jesus shows up to free us from this kind of warped understanding of having a relationship with God based on what we do and what we can try to convince him and bend his arm and, and bend his leg enough to get back from him. So, chapter 9, let me read, 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 read verses 1 through 3. It says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was born blind from birth... His disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they didn't even give him the chance to say, hey, is this a penalty? He, they just you know, assumed that it is. And then Jesus says the most crazy thing that they could have ever expected him to say, neither this man sinned nor his parents sinned. Now, of course, the parents had sinned. Nobody was perfect. But Jesus is saying that this was not a penalty. This was not the punishment for anything that they had did. But actually, this was so the works of God might be made manifest, so that the works of God might be displayed. There are a lot of people in this life that think the reason why they're suffering is because God's mad at them. You've been there before, haven't you? I couldn't walk for five years. And a lot of people said things that I heard them say, right? And you start thinking about those things in your head. You know, is this God's punishment? Is God mad at me? Is God, am I not doing enough? And people would say, if you believe it, you can receive it right. And hey, I believed it, Right? I got up every day and I took a step on the ground expecting I was going to be able to walk and I fell down every single morning for a long time. I believed it. 
I had faith. But it just wasn't working. This text saved my life. It saved my faith. For a long time, I had been told, if you just believe, you'll get better. And you're the problem. You're the reason why you're not getting better. God's waiting on you to measure up. And then this text came to me, and it changed everything. Jesus said, listen, I'm not going to explain why you're suffering. But I am going to tell you this trial can be for God's glory. And that might mean you're going to be healed. It might not mean you're going to get healed. It just means that God's going to use this for something that's going to impact the world in an amazing way. He's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He's not punishing you. He loves you. And I know the world's broken, and this doesn't make any sense, but I want you to know once and for all, this is not because God is angry, but God, because He loves you, He wants to come towards you and works through this problem. Listen, that is such, that, 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 there are people that need to hear that, that need to read this verse and be told, God still loves you. God wants to use you. God wants to use your problem. God wants to use this burden. God wants to use this disability or this thing that you think is a stigma. The biggest, most important distinction about how those asking the question perceive this blind man and how the one answering the question presents him they believe that brokenness is a result of a problem. Jesus just says it's a symptom, excuse the typo, a symptom of the world's bigger problem. One side believes it's judgment from God. The other side, Jesus says this is a platform from which God can do amazing things. Verse number four, Jesus says, hey, I'm here to work in a very dark world. I am the light of the world. Yeah, it's dark without me, but good thing I'm here. I'm going to do a miracle, and I'm going to show you what I can do with a man like this. Not every story is going to go the same way this guy's story is going to go, but I promise you, when I walk into your darkness, I can show you how this problem is a platform for God to show up and do amazing things on so the story goes that Jesus does this very strange thing. He spits on the ground. He makes a ball of clay. He rubs it in the guy's eyes. He says, hey, I know you can't see me, but I'm going to push you in this direction. This person's going to lead you by the hand to this pool. Go stick your head in the pool. When you raise up out of the water, when the mud clears from your eyes, you're going to be able to see. And the guy had no reason not to try it, so he did it. What was practically unbelievable gave way to what was personally undeniable. I mean, this doesn't make any sense, and Jesus goes about it in a way to make it make even less sense. I mean, couldn't he just hold his hands on the guy's eyes and say, Father, in your name, he's healed? I mean, couldn't he make it be a little bit more, I don't know, professional or holy looking? But he makes it so kind of comical, and then this guy goes and does it, and it's undeniable what happens. This didn't resort to religious foolery that wouldn't change anything. He trusted in the one who could change everything. And after years of trying, he surrendered to trusting. Trying, surrendered to trusting. And that's what so many of us need to do. Rather than trying to fix ourselves, God invites us to trust in him. The blind man didn't wait to figure out what Jesus was up to. He trusted that he could eventually catch up. If you think that this guy knew what Jesus was going to do, that's not the case at all. He was clueless. But he 
trusted that Jesus had a plan. There are plenty of people who had difficult times understanding what had just happened. As we read the story, they go back and forth. Is this the guy that was blind? No, he looks like him. It can't be that same guy. How could that guy be healed? He's been blind all his life. And then the guy, they even ask him in verse number 12, where is the man that healed you? And the man says, I think he was trying to make a joke. I don't know. I was blind. I didn't see him. Ha ha, right? He couldn't see him because he couldn't see. I don't know where he went. I just know his, he said his name was Jesus. I don't know, but there's a bunch of people named Joshua and Yeshua around here. It could be anybody. Let's read verse 13 through 18. They brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when the Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees also asked him again, how had he received his sight? And he said to them, I'm going to tell this story until somebody believes me. He put clay on my eyes and I washed and I can see. And they said, and then some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Oh, I'm sorry, you didn't really get healed. um, Excuse me, sirs, I know I was healed. I couldn't see and now I can see. I don't care what day of the week it is. Oh, but, but this couldn't be of God because God doesn't do anything on the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath, so this isn't even legitimate. What do you mean it's not legitimate? They go on. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. And, and they didn't like Jesus, so they didn't believe he had the power to heal people. So they were, just, they were you know, divided on that. They said to the blind man, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And the blind man, I think he's kind of just shrugging. I don't know. He's a prophet. I don't care who he is. I don't care what he is. I just know he put mud on my eyes. He put my head in the water, and I rose up, and I can see. I don't care what he does for a living. I just know I was blind, and now I see. Verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him. What do you mean they didn't believe? He literally was blind, and now he can see, and they're denying that it happened. They didn't believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents. I said, well, can we call your parents to confirm that you used to be blind? Go ahead and call my parents. They bring their parents in. (laughs) The religious leaders knew based on their God box that this didn't happen, this didn't check the way they thought God operated. No one could figure out what or who Jesus was, including the blind man. The blind man doesn't even know who actually healed him other than his name. He doesn't even know who he was or what he did for a living. I love this. The blind man temporarily, temporarily trusted, temporarily trusted a man he hadn't yet fully believed in and gained his sight back completely. Do you hear that? The blind man couldn't pass the theology test. He never read the Bible. He didn't know anything about religion, and yet he put his faith in Jesus, the version of Jesus that he couldn't even see but had heard a little bit about. The blind man temporarily trusted a man who said, hey, I can help you, and he gained his sight back completely. And we stand over people's shoulders, don't we? And we say, well, you're not doing it right. I know you just got saved yesterday, but you ought to know all the, you ought to know everything about the Bible. You ought to be doing things exactly like it's supposed to be done. You know what this tells me? God cares so much about helping us, He's not going to paywall His goodness behind knowledge. God doesn't stand with His shoulders, with His arms crossed, and saying, I don't know if you know enough. I don't know if you've done enough. I don't know if I can, reveal, I can do this for you because you, you haven't showed yourself as in enough. The Jews, however, they, they held God behind a lot of paywalls. Verse 19, 
They ask him, saying, they ask the parents, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. And verse 22 tells us, His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that anyone who confessed that he was Christ would be put out of the synagogue, as in excommunicated from the faith. Therefore his parents said, He's of age, ask them. They were so afraid of what it would cost to trust in Jesus, they weren't willing to step out. Because they had been told by their Jewish, by, by, by their Jewish authorities, we're going to excommunicate you from our entire culture and tribe and religion. And to them, that meant you were bound for judgment. So they called up the man who was blind and said, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So now they have to realize, they have to reconcile the fact that, of course, this man used to be blind. Now he can see. But we're not going to believe that Jesus healed him because we don't like Jesus. So we're going to give this guy a chance to say, God healed me, but not the man called Jesus, who I can't even point out in a crowd. Now we're going to force this man to operate, to walk like us and talk like us, or we're going to cast him out. <laughs> Unless you were just like them, you weren't allowed to be like, you weren't allowed to be with them. Unless you appeared to have it all together, you weren't allowed to worship, and they were ready to cast this guy out in a minute. See, in religion, work, worship emphasizes the work of man, but in Christianity, worship declares the worth of Jesus. And they wanted to take that to make this about him and not about God. Not about Jesus. They discredited Jesus for being, some, being with someone who wasn't good enough. Jesus was never worried about guilt by association, though. He was confident enough in himself and what he had to offer. If you ever think, well, Jesus wouldn't have or want, want, wouldn't want anything to do with me or have been told that this story suggests otherwise. Jesus had a reputation of befriending people that were not perfect because he was on a mission to open people's eyes to the one true God to open people up to what God wants to do in our lives, to show people that the disconnect in our lives doesn't disqualify them. It actually makes us prime candidates. Verse 25, the man says, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But this one thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. How do you know? Because it happened to me. That's how I know. I know it's unbelievable. But it's even more undeniable. Verse 26, it says, Then they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Oh my gosh, I've told y'all a hundred times. How did he open your eyes? They tried so hard to discredit it, but it was undeniable. You know, have you ever been watching a sport? a broadcast, and you hear the broadcaster say, that's unbelievable. Not because it didn't just happen, but because they're amazed that it actually did. And they'll replay that over and over and over again because they want to keep seeing this impossible play actually made possible. There are a lot of things about how God intersect, intersects in our lives that will never make sense. People ask me all the time, Justin, do you ever doubt do you ever wonder or worry or want things explained? Absolutely. I have a lot of doubts. My doubts persist. 
My doubts consistently show up when I allow what's unexplainable to overwhelm what's undeniable. I can't explain everything, and I love being able to explain things. I mean, my left side of my brain takes up 80% of my head. I love numbers. I want to be able to explain everything. But this is where I learned to rest in the good news that I am a creature and I have a creator. And where my limits are exposed, God's potential is activated. When God begins to work in ways higher and beyond our kin, the unexplainable often is multiplied, but so is the undeniable. There are so much I can't explain, but here's what I know. Here's what's undeniable. Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago with making outlandish claims about himself that should have gotten him featured as a laughing stock in history books. He showed up saying, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the vine. I am the way, truth, and the life. You can't hear from God unless you talk to me and I'll talk to God for you. I mean, crazy people say stuff like that. But you know what else he said? He said, I'm going to die for crimes I didn't commit. I'm going to surrender to accusations that are completely unfounded. I'm going to die so that many others might live. What? Who says that? But that's not all. I'm going to die and three days later I'm going to raise from the grave. Just watch and just see. And sure enough, there are thousands of eyewitnesses who followed him and unfollowed him and then refollowed him that are on record saying he was killed, he was buried, he was raised, and we have seen him. They went around the world dying for their faith. And 2,000 years later, there are over 2 billion people, 2 billion people on the heels of billions and billions of believers who have gone before us. Two billion people who worship a Jewish carpenter as the Savior of the world. That's what I know. I can't explain a lot, but it's undeniable the impact that Jesus has had on our world. I know that when I surrendered to Him in 1998, and every day since, His presence and power has been real to me as anything I could ever experience. And two billion people have eerily similar testimonies as I do. Not because we all agreed to have the same one but because we all had the same undeniable experience. Once we were blind, but now we see. This is why I believe. This is why I don't give up even when it seems like the desirable choice. This is why I don't give up even when my circumstances seem like less than ideal. Because what if our circumstances... What if our circumstances are just another platform on which God can display His saving power? What if what we're going through, where we're at, who we are, is an opportunity for God's glory and growth of some kind? What I learned from this story is that we shouldn't be afraid to express our doubt, but we also shouldn't be afraid to trust either. Doubt is our nature's way of clinging to control and understanding when we've passed the point of it making sense to us. Doubt is our mind's fear of losing control. But trust is transferring control into God's healing hands and sovereign plans. We can't allow that fear to keep us from transferring control to God. We may not see how it all comes together, but maybe that's the point. Maybe that's when we can experience the most defining moment of them all. When we can confess, like the blind man did, 
Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, once I was blind, and now I see. I can't explain it. I tried, and all wouldn't believe me. But I can't deny it. And you can't either. And the world can't. And the world won't. And that's the point. That's what changes the world. That's what gets the world a full glance and glimpse of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for this awesome story. I love it so much I could talk about it for an hour. I love it so much because it's so personal to me. There's a lot of things that we go through that you just can't explain and they're never going to be explaining. God, even when I get to heaven, I don't want you to explain them. <laughs> I'm glad that you leave some things foggy and murky because that makes the undeniable impact that much more amazing, that much more palpable. Father, thank you so much that you make undeniable impacts and impressions on us. Lord, every single one of us tonight, we have a lot of things that we can't explain or a lot of things that we have trouble believing, but Lord, one thing we know once we were blind and because Jesus passed by, now we can see. That's what changed our hearts. That's what changed our lives. Maybe there's somebody here tonight that feels inferior. They feel judged. They feel condemned. They feel like they've been disqualified. They feel like they're not good enough. They feel like they have to work their way into your good graces. God, remind them that they're not at all far from you. You love them and you're coming toward them right now. And you can use their life as an opportunity to show your glory, to show what you can do with anybody and everybody. Father, thank you that Jesus continues to pass by. I pray he would pass by as we leave here tonight, as we go home and go into our worlds this week, that we might could all be like the blind man who had, didn't have it all figured out, who had some questions, but he was willing to believe that Jesus could do what he said he could do. And that's what made the difference. Father, may what's undeniable overwhelm what's unexplainable this week. And may we give you the glory. And may you give us those defining moments every single day. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.